2: 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still
1: making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Kahn. It's New York, New York, presented by Fandle. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with Fandle, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new. An improved parlay hub filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor, for each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's, huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York. I had no plans to lead this show with the New York Yankees until, unfortunately, this Chapman stepped in. What a meltdown in the ninth inning against the Minnesota Twins. We got you covered on that. The Nets all of a sudden have themselves a series. I don't know how Milwaukee found the way, but it's 2-1. And that's really all that matters. We got ourselves an interesting game four on Sunday. You know what else we got? The Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals. I know a whole lot of you are fired up about that. We got Alan Hahn from the MSG Network and ESPN. Mike Carver from ILC Pod. Total voicemails. Loaded Friday show. New York, New York. It's coming up next. Roll, baby! Welcome in, New York, New York. Of course, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. Happy Friday, one and all. And I gotta admit, I didn't think there was a chance in hell that at nine thirty tonight, I was going to be leading this particular podcast with the New York Yankees. They're playing the hapless Minnesota Twins. They had won the first two games of this series. Bats are finally showing signs of life. I could push the Yankees to the back burner here and a Net fan can have a little bit of fun and I can have a little bit of fun at the Net fan's expense and Milwaukee's back in the series. Well, all of those beautiful plans that I had in this little pea brain of mine completely went out the window when Aroldis Chapman had the meltdown of all meltdowns in the bottom half of the ninth inning. And it's tough to kill Chapman on a team in which you've had plenty of people to kill. He has been beyond dominant. It, to me, has been the best stretch he's ever had in a Yankee uniform. He'd only blown the one save against the White Sox. I think he'd given up one or two earned runs. I think it was one earned run on the year, for goodness sakes, that went right down the toilet. As the balls hit by Josh Donaldson and Nelson Cruz still haven't landed. And instead of talking about a feel-good sweep, the Yankees' dominance of the Twins continues, the Yankees get the perfect remedy going to Philadelphia, now you leave Minnesota with a bitter taste in your mouth. And this hurts. You know, this is not going to get the sort of outrage that you got from me after the Red Sox game. Because listen, over the course of 162 games, you got to be real. You're going to lose games like this. Your closer is going to have an off night. Garrett Cole from time to time is going to have an off night. That's baseball season. My problem is this. The predicament the Yankees are in. It's a predicament where I think it's fair to say they got a lot of work to do. They got to win a boatload of games if they're going to make the postseason, get back in the division race, all that jazz. So when you have a lead against a bad team with your closer on the mound, that should be money in the bank. And unfortunately, Thursday night, it was not money in the bank. And this is a game where I felt like the Yankees were up by it, a lot more than four runs. Pound and Jay Happ. Gittins missed a home run by inches. They overturned that. I'm not going to bellyache about the offense today. I don't want to sound like Aaron Boone. I, I, I don't. I can't believe I might actually sound like Aaron Boone. The back quality was better from the Yankees. Now, I'm not jumping for joy. They're playing the hapless Minnesota Twins. Sanchez, looking good. And Duhar, looking good. Urshela, looking good. Stanton may be going on one of those hot streaks. I mean, it's incredibly frustrating because he'll probably find himself back on the injured list in like two or three weeks anyway. But there are legitimate signs of life from what has been a dead MIA Yankee offense. I'll acknowledge that. I'll be reasonable on that. I want to see more, but some signs of life. Good. You got to sweep this thing. And when you have a lead in the ninth inning, it makes matters that much worse. And it's a missed opportunity. Anytime now you're going to look at the standings, and I know, listen, some people say, JJ, can't be looking at the standings. It's June the 11th. There's so much more baseball left to be played. That's true. There's a massive division deficit right now. And when I look around the American League and I see the Red Sox come from behind and beating the Astros, you lose a game. I see the Toronto Blue Jays losing to the Chicago White Sox. Missed an opportunity to gain a game. That matters with where the Yankees are at. So hideous loss. And I hope Chapman's okay because he was only throwing 96, 97 miles an hour. That's not vintage or all this Chapman. So when I see that and he gets pounded I'm wondering what in God's name is going on. Is it an off night or is something off with Chapman? Boone didn't say so after the game, so my fingers crossed he'll be good to go come Saturday. My mood on the Yankees would have been a lot better if they had swept this series. This is not going to cause all sorts of yelling and screaming like the other night. This is more just, ugh. The pain, the misery, the anguish. That's what you're getting out of me tonight. More of a deflated, defeated, JJ, not off a wall, yelling and screaming, crazy man, JJ. You got that on Sunday night. I don't think you're getting that after this loss. This is just, ugh, tough, tough. And maybe the kibosh is me talking about how bad the twins are every other minute, which they are. They're a terrible team, and the Yankees own them. But, hey, every dog has its day. Every blind squirrel like me on the golf course can go and find a nut. That's just the way it goes. Should have been a sweep, not a sweep. Now the Yankees fly to Philadelphia, not so pleasant. Now, the other order of business we had here on this Thursday evening was game three between the Bucs and the Nets. And it was an entertaining, intense, ugly-ass basketball game. I really think that's the best way to phrase it because I was super into the game. I thought it was super fun to watch, even though nobody can make a shot for basically three and a half quarters. The game was so weird in the sense that Milwaukee gets off to this roaring start. They're up by 21 points in the first quarter. Brooklyn, you look at the scoreboard, they're they're scoring like 10, 11 points. Then you watch the second quarter of this game, the roles were completely reversed. Milwaukee couldn't get an offensive possession. They had single digit points for like two thirds of the quarter. And it allowed Brooklyn to get right back into the game. Now, the Bucs got something on this particular night that you are not going to get a whole lot of. What would that be? The fact that Brooklyn Nets, this high-powered offensive machine, this arsenal, Brooklyn scores 83 points. They go 8-32 from three. Irving's 9-22. Durant is incredibly inefficient. This should be a game Milwaukee wins going away. Milwaukee's shot selection sucked. I can't put it any more bluntly than that. It sucked. How many times do I got to see Giannis taking a three-point shot? Or other guys on the Milwaukee Bucks just yucking up threes, not moving the basketball. Coach Holzer. wake the hell up. What kind of offensive sets are the Milwaukee Bucks running? And in many ways, that allowed Brooklyn an opportunity to go and steal game three. And even on a night when Kevin Durant was, for the most part, very inefficient, he came alive with one of those scoring barrages. We've seen it. When he gets hot, you can't guard him. And Van Gundy and Jackson were talking about this. They were disagreeing on it. You have to double him on a pick and roll. Van Gundy is a thousand percent right and Mark Jackson is a thousand percent wrong. I don't care if Brook Lopez can do it. I don't care whoever the guy might be. I'm not letting Kevin Durant beat me. I'm sorry. I, I can't. I got to throw as many bodies at him as humanly possible. So he goes on that barrage and when he hit that three, to give Brooklyn a three-point lead. I know everybody in America thought game, set, match. Brooklyn's winning this game. They're sweeping this series. There's nothing to discuss. But this way you got to give Milwaukee, who I've been ragging on. Whether it's the head coach. Whether it's their shot selection. Their offensive sets. Whatever. Shuttle a hotspot tonight. I admire that. Down three. Ran a good set. Middleton. Even though it felt like he missed a ton of shots in this game because he took 25, he didn't give 35 points. You know, it's weird because it felt like watching the game, Middleton was far more inefficient than he actually was. But he was a little under 50%. And Milwaukee needs him to show up in this series. And he made a big shot late. He made a lot of big shots throughout. So I give credit where credit is due. Holiday had the game winner and he stunk tonight. But... He got to the rack, scored the game-winning bucket. And a couple of questions for Brooklyn at the end of this game. You got the rant, humming, and cruising. How is Bryce Brown, explain this to me, with like 12 or 13 seconds in the shot clock, how in God's name, I don't care if he's 8 or 17 from the field. He cannot be taking that shot, Bruce Brown. Are you kidding me? I call him Bryce Brown. Bruce Brown, it doesn't matter. How is he taking that shot? No way he should be taking that shot. On this team, that is Durant or that is Irving. And at the end of the game, it's got to be Kevin Durant. It's got to be touching the ball. It's got to be going through him. So that possession for Brooklyn was no bueno. And at the end of the game, I know Giannis said this when he was doing the interview. I felt the exact same way. I thought the Durant shot was going in. I thought it was going to be a tie game. Like watching that off his fingertips, I was like, holy moly, I think that's in." Thankfully, it didn't go in because now we got a series on our hands. Now, do I trust Milwaukee to win this series? Absolutely not. The fact that this game was as ugly as it was with Brooklyn playing as poorly as they did on offense, to me, it's not a good sign for Milwaukee moving forward. But momentum can change in these series. Does this start the confidence train for Milwaukee that they're alive and well? They play a big game four. And then all of a sudden, all the pressure in the world is on Brooklyn in game five. See, that's what I'm rooting for. If you're a basketball fan, not a net fan, and maybe you're a Knicks fan like me, but you want a good series. You want an entertaining series. I want to be entertained. And I want to see this net team tested. I don't want to see them go through the postseason with no adversity, not getting hit in the mouth, not being able to get off the mat. Like, oh, I don't want to see them just front runner all their way to an NBA title. That sucks. That's not enjoyable. That's why I hope Milwaukee wins game four. I'm not confident that they will. I got to see the line before I can tell you which way I'm going to lean. I mean, my my lean gut-wise is that Brooklyn is going to come out guns and blazing, just like they did in Boston. But I have to see a line. Because if the line tells me otherwise, eh, sometimes Vegas knows. Sometimes. I mean, a weird result with this game tonight, by the way. Milwaukee wins. Brooklyn actually covered. So, for a lot of the uh, square bettors that said, oh, Brooklyn, I'm getting three and a half points. Sometimes it is too good to be true. Just saying. Sometimes it is. I'm rooting for a Buck win because I want a pivotal game five. I might have to be in the building Tuesday night if that's 2-2. I might have to work on that. And then we'll come back. The the good news is I'm in a building I could hop on a city bike and get back and do the podcast in like 15 minutes. So, might have to work on that. Might have to work on that. All right, we got a voicemail right out of the gate. Let's get it popping.
3: Who's up? JJ, I'm a Knicks fan here. Sitting here now watching the Nets, hoping that they lose. But, in reality, Giannis might be the most overrated player in the NBA. The guy can't hit a fucking jump shot. Claxton is literally standing at the foul line, daring this bum to shoot. He can't even make a three, let alone he can't even make foul shots. The guy's holding the ball like a clown for over 10 seconds every time he shoots. I'm so tired of this guy. In my opinion, he's the most overrated star player in the league. The guy will never win. He cannot shoot. Let me know your thoughts. Unfortunately, the Nets now are going to have an easy cruising to the finals. All right, later.
1: Giannis is an insanely gifted player. So for me to come on the air and call him a flat-out bum is ridiculous because he can just do things on the basketball court that not a whole lot of guys can do. But to your point, bum is a bit much. Can't can't put him in that category. It's just, it's it's absurd. However, however, in these postseason series, his weakness is easily exploited. It's very easy to exploit. We saw it last year against Miami. We've seen it here in this series against Brooklyn. You go back, what was it? A couple of years ago in the Eastern Conference Finals, it was obvious when they took on the Toronto Raptors. Giannis does not have the trust and the confidence to knock down that outside shot consistently. But that's why if you're Mike Bootenholzer, you cannot let him take three after three after three and let him settle. Sooner or later, you got to get it through his head. Hey, this ain't working tonight. Get to the rack. But if I'm Steve Nash in the Nets, yeah, I'm, I'm daring Giannis to beat me from three. And if he's going to beat me from three, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tip my cap. And I'm going to say, job well done. You could take that shot all freaking night. Go shoot it. Bomb is a bit much. Talented, freakish athletically, flawed from a shot perspective. Yes. Biggest flaw to his game. And it absolutely hurts Milwaukee this time of the year. I don't think there's any doubt about it. We got a loaded show for you. Loaded show. I'm going to welcome in a guy I've never had on because, you know, he worked at a certain radio station. I used to work at a certain radio station. The great Alan Hahn from MSG, ESPN, Nick Aficionado, Islander Aficionado. He's going to join New York, New York, and make his debut. You know who's not making his New York, New York debut? The host of the ILC pod, my dude. The great Mike Carver with the Islanders getting ready for the Eastern Conference Finals. You no, know, we're getting a sense what's going on with our main man, Carver High. So we got a ton of voicemails coming your way. We'll set the stage for the weekend. Big weekend for the Mets, taking on the San Diego Padres. Yankees, gotta wait. It's weird. Off night on Friday night, which is probably therapeutic for me. that I'll ruin my Friday night. So we got you covered every which way. Hans coming up Next voicemails, gambling stuff. I'm rocking. I'm rolling. New York, New York. We'll come right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can scare an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: Let's welcome in a guy that I've been watching for a long time on MSG. He's killing it over at ESPN. And now I can actually have him on the show. Alan Hahn. Alan, what's happening, brother?
2: It's great to get to talk to you and they'll get yelled at for
1: it. I know. Seriously, that goes for you. That goes (laughs) for me. That goes for all parties involved. We're going to get to a ton of Knicks because I want to pick your brain on a variety of different stuff. But I gotta start here, bro. Something that's near and dear to your heart. How about those New York Islanders? What a story they have been. Man, they, they have been such a
2: story, not only just the success that they're having, but how about the example of what you do? What happens to a franchise that has been wayward when you get stable ownership? They hire a capable leader to run the franchise and stay the hell out of the way.
1: It's amazing. And, Alan, you're covering a team right now that plays at Madison Square Garden that, dare I say, might be taking a page out of Lou and Barry Trotz's playbook. Just saying. Great comparison, right? Barry
2: Trotz comes into the Islanders. They have talent. They have a young team. They have a core that just never got over the hump. You bring in a guy with, this, with the pedigree, with the resume that he has, and they become a team that just is a contender every year. You know, again, a team you know what you're getting every night. They play hard defensively. They shut it down. Uh, He gets everything he can out of his players. Tom Thibodeau, same thing happens. You bring him into the Knicks, a wayward franchise. They have a young core. They have some players. He comes in. He brings what you know, what he's about. They get that identity, and they put that identity to practice, and they turn into winners. Like, sometimes that's really all it takes. It really does. Stars matter in sports, but coaching still matters especially when you've got a, a young team. So it's a really
1: good parallel between the two. So Alan, as a whole, do you have any bitter feelings with this Nick year? I don't personally. I mean, Atlanta was just flat out better. I thought they deserved to win. Like I don't look back looking at the year, looking at the series and having this sort of feeling of disgust. Cause listen, the Knicks were a twenty twenty eight win team before the year. I thought, I mean, I didn't have lofty, crazy expectations. So, do you look at this playoff series, and in any way does it kind of take away from what they did in the regular season?
2: No, how can it? I mean, think about I where think it's they ridiculous. Yeah. Thank you on that. I, I just
1: I, needed some reaffirmation. That's oh, all. You know,
2: I, I hate the narrative, and and don't get me wrong. This isn't from a you know you know orange and blue colored glasses perspective that everything's great. No, it's not about that. It's always like you got to where did you come from, and where are you headed? I never looked at this year as a must win. Like, got to do it all kind of thing. They they won nine games in a row late in the year, and that got them to where they were able to compete for the four spot. Before that winning streak, which no one saw coming, before that, they were going to be a fight for the 7-10 play-in, and everybody would have been happy with that. If you get into the 7-10, everybody would have been just like, wow, they played for something, and that's pretty good, and they they look like they're capable now. But because of that winning streak, it skewed everything. So nine games out of a 72-game season – suddenly the goalposts are moved, suddenly the expectations change. Come on. Like, it's not like that. So they do what they do. And to me, it only proves two things. One, Tom Thibodeau was supposed to be coach of the year because he got so much out of, out of who got more out of less than him. Number two, they overachieved this year. That's a good sign. But JJ, this is the beginning of something. Unlike the last time they made the playoffs, when it was like the windows only this year, and that they don't do it, it'll close, and that's what happened. They couldn't get past the Pacers in 2013, and we know what happened after that. This is only the beginning because of all the cap space and the draft picks that they have to build to build off of what they got done this year.
1: Alan, I think that's a great point, and you know, I'm a guy who's been beaten down by the franchise, growing up <laughs> with the Riley Knicks, growing up with Patrick Ewing, and I love the tips higher. Might I add? I said it last summer. I said he's a program builder. He's a winner but I didn't think it was going to happen overnight. So even when they got off to a good start, you know, five, 10, 15 games into the year, Alan, I've been so burned over the years. I'm like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then I watched them. I want to say it was a bunch of losses in like February into March where they played Philly and they played Brooklyn and they just kept scratching and clawing. And I'm like, okay, this team is legit. This team is for real. This team has taken on the personality of its head coach and they've taken on the personality of New York. You're a guy that's doing this every single day in the sense that you're doing pre and post after the games for MSG. When was the moment for you? Maybe it was preseason. Maybe it was game one where you watched the Knicks. You watched them under Tom Thibodeau and you said, wow, they're better than I thought.
2: With a full buy-in, because I'm like you. Like, I got so skeptical about everything. Like, even – like, it took me forever to finally buy in on Julius Randle. Like, everybody was – like, I was one of those idiots that before the season's like, all right, see if Randle some stats, trade him by the deadline. You know, Obi Toppage is just starting four going forward. Let's – you know, like, that's – like, Randle isn't really part of what you're doing. And then when he got up to a good start, I'm like, all right, it's, that's a couple of good games. I need to see more. Like, I wouldn't trust anything I was seeing. I'll tell you the moment. And it was after a loss, all right? They were on that West Coast trip, and that was supposed to be the killer. That trip was supposed to ruin the season. That trip, when you saw the second half schedule, you said, oh, typical NBA doesn't want the Knicks to be good, right? That's what every Knicks fan thinks. NBA doesn't want the Knicks to be good. Who gives a six-game West Coast road trip with both LA teams in it? Oh, and Denver, too. Who does that to a team in the final two weeks of a regular season? Only the Knicks have a schedule like that, right? That's how New York fans think. So when we saw that, I thought, that's going to be the death knell. Then they get the first two wins, which you should have. It was the Rockets and then a really gritty win against a really good Grizzlies team on a back-to-back. And I thought, okay, you're showing me something. And you get smoked in Denver, which is just supposed to. You know, you're not ready to play. You kind of let the game go away in Phoenix. And then I'm like, all right, this is going the wrong way. Then you beat the Clippers on national TV. Whoa, okay. Now you at least got a three-and-three three trip but you can steal a four and two trip. What? They lost that Laker game on a great shot by THT in the end. That game, they should not They should have never won that. They should have never had a chance to win the game, and they could have. The getaway game on a West Coast trip, they should have been exhausted, and they were battling tooth and nail all the way to the end, and it took a big shot to beat them. After that trip, they coming home four, they, three and three when they could have been four and two, very close to four and two. And that's when I said, you know what? This is legit. Like, they've got something brewing here, and I can't wait. And it's funny. I said to myself, I can't wait to get to the offseason to see how they build off this thing. That's how excited I was off of a loss.
1: And now you look at this offseason, Alan. and listen. Randall had an insane year. He deserved most improved player. Mm -hmm. New York City fell in love with him. He had a terrible postseason series against Atlanta. They had a great defensive game plan for him. He might have forced the issue a little bit. Didn't play great. My biggest fear with this team moving forward is that they're going to build a team that kind of has a ceiling of 45, 46 wins. Then, look, you want to show players around the league that you're taking care of your own. So it's a very delicate balance with Julius Randle. So I ask you this question. How do you handle Randle moving forward? What is your move?
2: Well, it makes sense for him financially if he waits too. You got the option. Pick up the, the options already picked up. That's you know done deal, right? You got him for next year. His bonuses kick in for what he was able to accomplish. So it's a little more than what you expected to pay, but that's all right. It's still not astronomical in comparison to production. Then you have one more year because if he takes an extension now, it's less money than if he goes to free agency. You have his bird rights. And then you can give him a max if you know he has another great season. So it, it, it doesn't make sense for him to take less now when he can get more after another year if he bets on himself. And also it allows the Knicks to use as much cap space as possible to build around him because they have his bird rights. And JJ, you know, when you have bird rights, you can go over the cap, but you can't do that if he's already got the extension and the money and you're trying to get other players around. So that's why it just financially, you know, by the book, you know, just looking at it intelligently from a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense to give him an extension. Now it makes sense to pick up the option, see him have another great year, then going to free agency, yeah, you know, you risk losing him, but I think he's made it pretty clear. He's happy here. And he knows he can get the most money from you, not in 21, but in 22. So that's why I I would just say, that's how you do it. That's important because you're right. I also now wonder, do they have the ability to build this team and also the patience to build this team where you get stars because that's what you need to win. Or if they kind of Well, if we just, like, get some names and put it together, and then you become that team that's just always a, you know, fifth or fourth seed but never has a chance to win a title, you know, you're on
1: that treadmill. That's what you fear also. Obviously, everybody's going to be dreaming about Dame Lillard. And Uh listen, Dame Lillard in a Nick uniform or in any uniform for that matter, I mean, you're going to be doing dances if you're a fan. Oh, yeah. Let's say that doesn't happen, okay, Alan? Let's say the Dame Lillard pipe dream is exactly that. What is your move? I, they got to get more dynamic at guard. They got to become a better shooting team. Who are the guys you're targeting? If you're, you know, Leon Rose, if you're World Wide West, and you find out from Portland, yeah, the, the Lillard thing, it, it ain't a thing. You got to go elsewhere. What's your counter?
2: If Lillard's not your guy, then I think Lonzo Ball is somebody you got to look at.
1: I love it. I love it. That's my dude, Alan. That's my dude. That's music to my ears.
2: Finding a point guard in this league is so hard to do. But one thing this coaching staff has proven is they can, they really make talent better. Like the Knicks became the players on this team got better as the year went on. And that says a lot because they were a team that had no shooters. And by the end of the year, they were number three in the league in three point shooting. I mean, you look at it and go, how the hell is that possible? because they just, they work with it and work with it and just get better and better and better. You know, I I find that so you can get a guy like Lonzo and make him better. And he's still very young in his career with the potential that he has and his vision. He fits, he checks a lot of the boxes this team needs. An organizer who can run an offense, a guy that can defend that position. His his three-point shot has gotten a lot better, even though it's kind of ugly, but it's gotten a lot better. I just think he's a good fit when you think of all the boxes checked. Like I, I don't I have nothing to do with Kimball Walker. I'm sorry. it's that, that ship has sailed. I would have loved to have had him a couple of years ago, but not now. Kind of broken down. You can't go down the road of the broken down vet. You can't do it. So I'm feeling like that's the direction you go. If you can't get a guy like Dave, if you can't trade your assets for a star, then I would stay young. I would not try to bring in somebody that has a name, but might be on the back nine and also you know, might not be, a be the best fit. Because this group, JJ, this group, one other thing about them that, you know, not a lot of said is outside the the coverage of the Knicks, is they really, their culture is interesting. They're all gym rats. You know, there's not guys that want to be in the club. There's not guys that have other interests. They just want to get in the gym and get up shots. That's the kind of guys they are. And so you got to be careful to, if you bring in a guy that might also start, you know, pulling some guys to the club, changes the whole dynamic of of the team. So I think that's also important to, th- to think about when you think about who you're bringing in.
1: You mentioned Jim Rat, I think R.J. Barrett. I yes. see the improvement year one to year two. And, Alan, he's always going to have a link to him that he's not John Morant and that he's not Zion Williamson. But I heard Nick fans trying to make the argument that this guy was a bust after his first year. It was like the dumbest <laughs> argument known to man. And I think he shoved it down a lot of people's throats last year out playing Ja in what to me was one of the best wins of the year. It was a Friday night. I remember watching it over a couple of pops. Might have hopped on the Knicks on the live line, full disclosure on that particular night. Uh, But Barrett was a beast that game. And I think it's not unreasonable to say that he can take his game to another level. Not to the point, Alan, where I look at him where he's the number one player on a championship team. But I think All-Star and R.J. Barrett in the same sentence is very, very reasonable, right?
2: He's that glue kind of guy. You know, I, I I, didn't like how this year he would get lost at times in games, and I blame that more on the system. You know, lack of point guard, lack of a guy that would understand this guy's hot or this guy's winning his matchup. Let's keep feeding him the basketball. I think a lot of times they just had – they were so Randall reliant that, you know, RJ just wouldn't touch the ball. Like, I'm sorry. Even in the Heat series, there were a couple of times where I thought to myself, man, you got – you got Trey Young on you? Like, everybody get the hell out of the way. Give him the ball. Like, that's all it should be. It should be he's, got, he's being guarded by Trey Young. Get out of the way. But they didn't do that. And so I just – I'd like to see if, you know, his game can can change with, you know, better ball movement, more, more plays called for him because that dude can get to the basket whenever he wants. Now, I'm with you. I don't see, you know, star ceiling for him, but I see a guy that's going to be an important – I call him a foundational piece. Because in big games he plays his best. He never gets rattled. Even after like a poor shooting game, even after a couple of like a slump where he can't make a three like he did earlier in the season, 0 for 20. He just stays so even keeled, like never changes his expression. So I'm I'm curious to see how he continues to grow. Cause he's only twenty. Like, yeah, I think he turns twenty one next week. And he's still so young in his career, and he's so already really strong. But I'll tell you what though. If Dame Lillard is available, he's going to have to be a guy. Whatever go, it right? takes. Like, like, no, you know what Alan, like,
1: that goes without saying. Yeah, there's not one player on this roster, I wouldn't trade for Damian Lillard. Right? Not like, one. Like
2: Donovan Mitchell. Like, yeah, it, 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 you know, whoever you are trading for that's already a star level, that kid is on the – he's got to go on the table, and you got to be
1: ready to do that. As much as you love him, you got to be ready to do it. You're a national radio host. You're also a guy knows New York very, very well, and the Nets, of course, are a bigger national story than they are a local story. I mean, all you need to know is watch the Knicks in the first round, and I'm not trying to rag on a net fan, but oh, it's the Nets true. are playing the buzz. But it's Alan, You know this because you live here in New York City. You're doing national radio. The Nets are the story nationally, and then you walk around town locally. It's like they don't even exist.
2: It's it's so funny. So after game two. In the first round, the Knicks beat the Hawks, right? It's their first playoff win in eight years. Seventh Avenue, because right outside our studio, Seventh Avenue was. Flooded. Oh, it's Madhouse.
1: Like, I it saw the video. It was
2: a madhouse. They're banging on the windows of our studio, like going nuts. And they had stopped traffic. You couldn't get a car through Seventh Avenue and between 34th Street and 31st Street. You couldn't get a car. Nothing. Like that's it was a sea of Knicks fans celebrating, hanging on lampposts. And it looked like a championship was just won. It was a playoff win. Right. So locally, yes. But when I tell that story on national radio, people have glazed over, like, get over it. Nobody cares. But then you talk about Kevin Durant, people are like, oh my God, isn't he amazing? He's playing two years since he, he popped his Achilles and he's right back to where he's playing. So the energy is so much different because of the stars they have versus then when you talk about it on New York level, there's not as many people that are as excited. Now, again, the Nets are fun to watch and that's a talented team. But it's just a level of excitement is much different when the Knicks were playing. Now, I'll say this. Now, as the Nets are moving on and, I mean, they're already – we'll see what happens with uh, the series with the Bucs, but they're already off to a dominant start. Like, now you start to turn your attention to them. But I don't know. Here's what I say, JJ. The Nets can win the championship, and on the day of the parade, the conversation will be, what do the Knicks need to add to their roster so they can catch up to the Nets?
1: 100%. One hundred percent. The conversation would we'll be more well, about how that. How about this? How about the Nets having a championship parade in my neck of the woods down Atlantic Avenue, uh-huh. and the Knicks going trade for Damian Lillard? So much for that parade. CEO <laughs> like yeah, there you go. That would be see you later. That's don't, when, that's when
2: the po- the post in the Daily News pull their main guys off the parade so they can cover the da- Damian Lillard press
1: conference. That's it. Get them to the garden <laughs> immediately. I need the Nets to not backups, win a championship. The I, 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 even though I'm invested preseason in Brooklyn Allen, it's blood money, I want Brooklyn out in the absolute worst way so you cover the NBA very well, Philly or somebody out west, who's got the best chance of knocking them off? Clippers Why, because Cl- of the well, star power?
2: Clippers or Jazz, I would say I thought it was the Bucs, they have not proven that to me I thought for sure the Bucs would give them a series it has not been yet and that's so disappointing to me I don't Philly will give them trouble because they're big and they're physical, but they just, I don't think they have enough firepower. You got to have enough offense to keep up. You really do. You're not ever going to shut them down. You're going to slow them down. But I think Utah, because there's just such a good team and they play great defense and they get after you and they got depth. I mean, they're, they're, their second line off the bench is really good. They got two guys that were up to six man of the year. So Utah, and then of course, the Clippers, just because they have star power. And they've got you know Kawhi. Like I just think that and that could be uh, enough to make it uh, difficult on the Nets. But I'm really down, really down on what the Bucks have shown us so far because that should have been the team to get
1: it done. Final one. Isles and how many against Tampa?
2: How uh, many? Uh, I hate doing this because it sets me up for failure. It always does. I'd rather I'd rather predict losses. Because then wow. I, so I, you're I'm trying so to happy. go down, you're trying yes. to go for
1: a little reverse jinx, basically. Is what you're I, this I
2: always do. This is my son and I both do this when we talk about all right, what's going to happen? Uh, they're probably going to lose in six, right? So, uh, but I want to believe so much. But Tampa's won it, they've got that same team back. They got Kucherov back, who's he wasn't even supposed to play. Their goalie is out of his mind. Vasiliev, uh, don't make me do it, JJ, because if I say it. That's fine. doesn't to fruition, no, I want, am you, the reaper. But here's
1: what you want, though, Alan. Here's what you want. You want to pick Tampa, and then you want the Isles to win. That way, it's win-win, bro. That's how I look at it. I'll
2: tell you what. I'll go Tampa in seven and hope I'm wrong.
1: I like the sound of that. That's Alan Hahn, MSG Network, ESPN Radio. Alan, this is fun. Don't be a stranger, bro.
2: Yeah, man. Let's do it again.
1: There you have it. That's Alan Hahn. A lot more to do. We'll coming right back. That's good stuff with Alan Hahn. I love that we're on the same page. Dreaming about Damian Lillard. Doing whatever it takes, might I add, to go and get Damian Lillard. But if that pipe dream is exactly that, Lonzo Ball in a Nick uniform. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, that sounds nice. Speaking of a nice-sounding matchup, I don't know if that's grammatically correct. Who cares if it's grammatically correct? My life is definitely and most certainly is not grammatically correct, but... Mets and Padres this weekend. That is a juicy, juicy series. First of all, you got the goat on the mound on Friday night. That's a hell of a pitching matchup. I know Snell is not throwing the ball great this year, but he dominated the Mets on, what was it, Friday night last week. Snell, Grom, kicking off this series. Mets, listen, 30 and 24, that's terrific. you love the fact that this team is winning games without a ton of their guys being there. But look at this weekend and look at the games that are coming up. They are not going to go through an easy stretch. Padres, 10 games over 500. Record-wise, I mean, they're right there amongst the best in the NL. Only the Giants and the Dodgers basically have a better record. It's amazing. San Francisco, by the way, is 15 games over 500 and has the best record in the National League. But that's neither here nor there. Snell, DeGrom on Friday night. Then you got a Saturday afternoon game, Musgrove, and Stroman, those are, those are two really good pitching matchups. Snell DeGrom Friday, Musgrove Stroman on Saturday, and Sunday for the Mets, Paddock with Casey. The goal for the Mets is simple. Go and get two out of three. Keep winning series. With the struggles of the Atlanta Braves, who are kind of up and down, up and down. The Phillies, same sort of deal, up and down, up and down. Just keep winning series, And grow that lead within the division. Right now, it's comfortable, but you want to see it get even more lofty. You want it to get even fatter as these weeks go on. So I'm looking forward to the Mets and the Padres this weekend. And Alonzo, by the way, is completely locked in. This is one of those stretches. This is one of those tests for Pete Alonzo, who had some very interesting things to say about conspiracy theories when it comes to free agency and the baseballs. And with this commissioner, I wouldn't put it past him. You know, it's probably not the smartest thing in the world for Pete to say just because now you're going to have the owners and, you know, the commissioner on your ass. And do you want that? Do you need that? But listen, when it comes to the Major League Baseball owners and the commissioner, I, I don't put anything past those guys. You got all that going on. Yanksville's. Nets game four. Mets pods. But I didn't forget, we got the Islanders and the Lightning. In the Eastern Conference Finals. A rematch of the Eastern Conference Finals from a year ago. And I got to get out to the barn. That place has been electric. It has been rocking. They brought the fire. They brought the energy in game six. Scoring a bunch of goals. Making the goal tend to change. Which I thought was gigantic in changing the momentum in this series. And Barzell really showed up in a big way. This Tampa team is loaded though. They beat up the Islanders last year. The Islanders have the Dangling carrot of motivation that is working in their favor. They are not the more talented team in this series. Tampa's trying to do what would be, I mean, an insane feat in winning back-to-back cups, especially considering the circumstances. But the Islanders have something going. They got a little juju on their side. That's tough to go against. I'm looking forward to those crowds at Nassau Coliseum Game 3 and Game 4. Really looking forward to those crowds. And they're live. Listen, I don't look at the Islanders in this series and say I have no chance to win. Because I was skeptical against the Bruins and my opinion dramatically changed. And once they won game five, I like their chances in game six. Islanders are absolutely live. And they're one of four teams left playing. That's a beautiful side. Voicemail time. I wonder if we had some folks who made their way to the Nassau Coliseum. I mean, it should be a, a nice, interesting mixed bag as we're kicking off for Friday. So... Let's get it going. Who's on the horn?
3: What up, JJ? This is on medicine Statin on. I just watched Chapman disgustingly fucking blow a save against the Twins. We could have swept them like we should have. He just gave up two massive two-run shots. Do you think he developed his off-speed stuff with the speedy stuff going out there or not? I don't know if I'm being overly reactionary here, but what do you think? Let me know.
1: I think you're being insanely overreactionary, Ahmad. I mean, think about the way Chapman is throwing the ball this year. Listen, there have been plenty of culprits for the Yankees stinking up the joint. And we haven't been waving Yankee pom-poms on this show. I know, you know, people know I bleed pinstripes and I'm a diehard Yankee fan. I tell like it is with the team, okay? And anybody would say otherwise is just a damn fool, okay? We tell like it is. And if you think otherwise, go listen to the podcast on Sunday. You want a refresher. But the reason you are overreacting, my friend, it is very simple. The guy has given up one run all year. Now, this was a crash and burn type of save. There are cheapy blown saves. Even cheapy Homer blown saves. Like, when you give up one that's, you know, 315, short, porch Yankee stadium, just, you know, clears the wall. Like Travis Darno a couple of years ago. That was a cheapy Chapman home run ball and save. These two, they were not cheapies. Donaldson and Cruz got their money's worth. Both of those balls still have not landed yet. And to think, I thought the Yankees got the last laugh with Donaldson. Cole sticking it to him the other night. The whole spider attack, whatever the stupid stuff, whatever the hell they're calling it these days. Spider web, spider attack, who the hell cares? Cole didn't need, he struck his ass out. Chapman did not do the same. Now, if Chapman's hurt, I'm worried. It was a night where he couldn't get warmed up. He didn't have good stuff. It's one game. The problem is for the Yankees, every game is so crucial. So when you have games that are on a silver platter for you, you don't want to flush them down the toilet. And that's what they did on Thursday night. This is a game they had no business losing. And it's on the closer. Case closed. Who's up next?
3: John, it's Gabe from Queens. First time long time. And holy shit. My wife went to sleep. She asked me to go to bed early. I'm like, no, I'm going to watch the Twins game. I want to see Yankees sweep and get back on track. And of course, Chapman blows it on nine freaking pitches. So I think my immediate reaction is they have got to have seen what was coming on Chapman. I, I mean, his staff falling down, but they were swinging at everything. And I won't be surprised. I hate Donald after this series, but I don't know. I'm kind of coming to expect the worst with the Yankees this season. <laughs> I want to know. I need, I need to film. Some words of comfort. Thanks, John. You know, Gabe, I heard Aaron Boone
1: asked by one of the members of the Yankee media. It might have been Meredith who was all over it. And maybe we needed Meredith there because on Sunday, no Meredith, no clap. I got no answers. Um, Meredith was all over the fact that for whatever reason, this team just hasn't been able to really get it going. You know, just when you think they're about to really get it going, they have a loss like this. They have a major setback. That's something they have to address down the stretch. Meaning late June, July, August, etc. And this is one of those games. I'm going to keep saying that until the cows come home. I'm going to keep saying till until I'm blue in the face. As ugly as it was, as shocking as it was, you lose games like this. Mariano Rivera blew games like this. Like, it happens. I just hope Chapman's Okay. Because at 96-97, that is not the stuff we've seen from Roldis Chapman all year. It's just not the stuff. He's been unhittable. Tonight, the Twins were digging in. That was batting practice for them. And now the Yankees got to go and get two in Philadelphia. They need to go get two in Philadelphia. They're 2-1 and one on this trip. I want a 6-2 and two on this trip. Because they're not sweeping the Blue Jays. They never play well against Toronto. I'd sign for two out of three right now. I would. Yankees need an extended stretch of winning baseball. And I know I was talking about this yesterday if you guys are listening to the locker room. I know I've been hard on the Yankee manager. I have. Because I haven't been pleased with his job performance. I haven't been pleased with the team's job performance. They're in the World Series. I'm thinking about getting a dog. Don't have one yet. We're thinking about it. We're thinking about it. Come wintertime. The Yankees are in the World Series. No. Kate might uh, cut off my fingertip if I have all the say in the world about naming the dog, but, you know, for the sake of New York, New York, I'm a man of honor, and I will honor this request. Yankees go to a World Series. That dog's going to be named Booney. So, Aaron, if you're listening, you want to be a part of the Justremsky Sanchez household for a long, long time, you better get to work, because I'm a man of honor. I pay my debts. I'm like Lannister, baby. I pay my debts. What can I say? Who's up next?
3: Hey, JJ, Shaw Long Island, live from outside Nassau Coliseum. Yes! After the Islanders, dominant, dominant win over the Bruins, living no doubt, baby. Final four, who would have ever thought it would happen? Fucking so pumped, my man. As you said, let's go. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're going to be at the Coliseum. Tell my carver what's up. Completely dominant effort tonight, and bring on Tampa. Events never tasted so sweet. Let's go, baby. Underdogs all the way. Don't fucking bet against the Islanders. Let's go. Peace.
1: I love it. Shawny. fired up from the Coliseum parking lot. Maybe we made his way to the Marriott afterwards for a couple of pops. Good for you if so. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. They're a fun team to watch. They play together. They have different guys stepping up. They got two goaltenders they trust. Their star players are finally showing up. Nelson with a big game the other night. If we have a home game on a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, I will do my darndest to get out there because I've never been to a game at the Nassau Coliseum. I've never been in a barn. And, you know, as a guy who lives and breeds New York sports, I feel obligated in this particular series to get out there. So if you guys see me out there, first round's on me. Just let me know. And if I go out there, I mean, I'm calling the car service. I can't be driving out there. I want to have a couple of pops and enjoy it with the people. And I'm invested in the Islanders. Listen, we had an Easter Conference bet at the beginning of the year. I took them in the Penguins series. They won. I hopped on in the Bruins series, even though I didn't feel confident. And they won. So I'll go down with the ship. It goes down against Tampa. that's fine. I'm getting 220 odds. Let's go. I'm going to keep riding that wave. Until, you know, the wave knocks me over. And it's time to say goodbye. Who's up next?
3: What's up, JJ? Steve from Brooklyn. I'm listening to your most recent pod, and I'm hearing me talk about John Carlos Stanton being the one mistake in recent years, which isn't wrong. But you mentioned payroll flexibility and not being a good fit. That's all fine and well, but the Yankees don't need payroll flexibility. they the Yankees. You can have beat $230 million and have Rodan Brantley. This isn't about payroll flexibility. It starts at the top of Hal Steinbrenner, who actually owns the Yankees, but he hates it. He literally hates owning the Yankees. The guy... You know, he's looking at his race car, his uh, airplane magazines, and not worried about the Yankees at all, as long as they're making them money. So you know what, Jay? I just can't see how this organization, World, World Series-wise, with would, would cash in on these guys. I, I just don't see it. So uh, that's my little rant. So that's it.
1: Steve, I'm glad, my friend, that you were able to get that off your chest. That's number one. Number two, you're not wrong. The Yankees should be over the luxury tax. There's no excuse for them not to be over the luxury tax. Here's the problem. How Steinbrenner is going to look at a team like Tampa Bay. And I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, but he's going to make this argument. He's going to say, hold on a second. Tampa just beat us, whooped us a year ago, and did so with a such and such payroll. Why do we have to have this 270 80 $90, 300000000 million payroll When, in reality, I look at teams that have spent, in my tenure, that amount of money that haven't won. After 2009, teams underperformed. 14, they spent a ton of money. Got to give up draft picks, etc. I'm not defending it, Steve. Because, to me, you're the Yankees. You have unlimited resources. You're selling $15 beers. You're charging $40 for parking. You have the legend seats that, by the way, are as good as it gets if you ever get them. Food, top-notch, watch the tails, the whole deal. $700, $900 tickets. You can afford it. This regime, though, not willing to go that far. And that's the knock on the current ownership group. They want to win. They'll spend. But they're going to spend at a cost. That is not something that you used to say in the old days with George. That's just the reality. The Yankees were going to be the number one payroll. They were going to spend the most amount of money. And if there was a problem, they were going to throw their money at their problems. In a trade, for agency, whatever. Now they're far more tight. They're far more cautious. Baseball has changed. So it's not the wild, wild west like it was maybe in the late 1990s or in the early 2000s. It's not. But Not signing a guy like Michael Brantley was completely unacceptable when he fit the team I could go off. But that's why the Stanton element of his contract and his lack of being able to play anywhere else and kind of pigeonholing the Yankees comes into play when it didn't maybe 15, 20 years ago. Fair point, though. Very fair.
3: Who's up next? Hey, JJ. It's Tom from White Plains. I love me some Garrett Cole. I've been following him since we drafted him, but he didn't really get good until he went to the Astros. And my spotty sense says there's nothing tacky here because if the Astros know how to do one thing, it's how to cheat. Love you, babe.
1: Tommy, you don't sound like a Yankee fan with those comments, number one. And I'm not saying you got to wave the pom-poms all the time. Garrett Cole's a stud. Garrett Cole was a stud in college. Garrett Cole, yes, was not as good a pitcher, in Pittsburgh, as he was with the Eastern Astros, it's not about spider tack. It's about the fact that he's starting to throw his four-seam fastball a lot more. And that Ray series in Pittsburgh was insistent on two-seam fastballs and working down in the strike zone. That's what transformed, and that's what changed Garrett Cole. That's why I'm so glad Cole had a good start the other night. It wasn't his best. It was probably a B-plus, A-minus start for Cole. I mean, he was throwing super hard. He was amped. You could tell. He gave up a bomb, but he made Donaldson look stupid, which was very important to me. And he needed a pitch well just for, like, my sanity and for everybody's sanity out there. Because if he didn't, then I got to hear, oh, he's the product of cheating, blah, blah, blah. This is why he's good. Thank heavens. Six innings, two runs the other night with a ton of strikeouts. We could put that to bed. Garrett Cole's really good at this craft. He's not Jacob DeGrom, but he's pretty darn special. Who's up next? JJ, how we doing? Brad from Hoboken.
4: I just wanted to uh, make a comment about the whole uh, the whole incident with your sister yelling at the kids. 2009, I went to Game Five in it was either Game Four or Game Five in Philly for the World Series, and I was wearing a Yankee jersey. I had long hair at the time, and there was there was an, one out bottom of the ninth, and Jeter comes up. We were down two. Runners were on first and third. Some big fat drunk old guy says I had long hair at the time says, Send Jonas brother home and throws beer on me and then of course Jeter bangs into a double play to end the game. But um and I didn't cry. It was it was all good fun. That should be a rite of passage to those kids wearing a wearing a Red Sox jersey to Yankee Stadium and getting chirped at. I love
1: it. Anyway, love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Good luck with everything. Later. Well, Brad, I appreciate that. I'm sorry for your traumatic experience in Philly. Listen, you go to Philly, it can get traumatic. Uh, I've heard that. And I love the city of Philadelphia. I do. I love the cheesesteaks. It's a great place to party. It's a great time. The sports, specifically football, can be just, uh, I I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, And I wouldn't wish you getting beer thrown on you, to be honest with you. That's classless. If you're going to do that, you're a scumbag fan. I mean, that's messed up shit. My sister yelling at 10-year-olds. I mean, uh, I would argue she's got to find something better to do. But she's into it. And it was playful. You know, and I believe her. I don't think she's bullshitting anybody. She's not cursing at the kids. She's not like verbally abusing the kids. Hey, and there's something to be said for her. You got little kids chanting Yankees suck at Yankee Stadium. I don't care what age they are. Yeah. You might have to say something. My sister's going to take it to another level. And now she is this like social media superstar. See, I I almost feel as if this is like a part of her grand plan. You know, she's running stuff over at House of Highlights. She's a big deal over there. And now instead of, you know, delegating what goes viral, it's her videos that go viral. So, I mean, I I can't believe she got called a Karen in the New York Post. That was uh, tough to take for her. But, you know, I told her that's the price of doing business, yelling at 10-year-olds. You never know where the... Media is going to take it. She claims she was the victim of fake news. I wasn't there. So, you know, I can only go by what I hear. I'm a bystander in this, my friends. Innocent bystander. I was at the game. I was on the other side of the field, though. So I didn't witness any of these shenanigans. But yeah, Chan Yankees suck. I don't care what age you are. Now, I'm not saying you abuse little kids, or curse at little kids. You know, that's disgusting. and get thrown out of the game. But put that shit to bed.
3: Thank you. Two to go. Who's up next? Hey, Jay, it's Carl from uh, Massapequa. Um, did anyone win the 13-run uh, pool yet? Um, and the other thing is uh, it's good to see the Yankees uh, break out a little bit offensively. It is uh, the Uber driver and uh Twinkies after all, so I wouldn't get too excited yet, but it's a step in the right direction. Anyway, keep up the good work.
1: I appreciate that, Carl. You got to start somewhere if you're the Yankee bats. And again, I have been so negative on them the last two months. I'm looking, I'm hoping, I'm praying for glimmers. So when I get a glimmer, I'm obviously going to run with it. And I'm hopeful that these Yankee bats against the Minnesota Twins are going to translate the Philly and they're going to translate into Toronto or Buffalo, whatever the hell they're playing. And throughout, you know, this next few weeks stretch until you hit the all-star break. I hope so. I got to see more. And you're right, beating the Twins up offensively is not exactly uh, the equation of getting you to the Canyon Heroes, but you got to start somewhere. I believe in the 13-run pool, and I'm not in one. I should have gotten in one. I usually do it every year. A couple of golf buddies were bringing this up. The great Alex Plavin, the great Tommy D, Eddie V, all the guys over at Silver Lake where I play all the time, um, had mentioned that Chicago had won. So if you had Chicago in the 13-run pool, you had yourself a winner. And The problem you're running into this year with the lack of offense in baseball, man, it's tough. You got a team like the Indians. How are you getting to 12 or 13 runs? I mean, fluky shit can happen. Weird stuff can happen. That's true. But, man, how the hell are you getting to 13 runs? So, I think they restarted it. So, if you're involved, good luck. Buenas suerte, as they say.
3: Last but not least, who's on the horn? JJ Anthony and Saito you know it's amazing to me and you know I've been listening to you for a while even on the old station and speaking of the old station ever since you left you barely if at all i don't think once have mentioned in any sort of negative light your 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 coworkers your past coworkers but for some reason they can't get your the, your fucking name out of their mouths and then today on the morning show they take their subtle jabs at you and your sister. It's like, get the fuck out of here, dude. If I hear you mention those fucks on your podcast, it'll be the first time I hear it. Whether it's the idiots on air or whether it's that bald, dog-walking, loving fuck behind the glass. And do me a favor. Don't even mention them. Let me bashing them be it for you. Don't even stoop to their level. That fucking prehistoric, archaic bullshit of a fucking station that's sinking quicker than the titanic fuck them whoa whoa
1: whoa i did not expect that all right a couple things number one i don't like to talk about my old employer because they were great to me for nine years they gave me my start they gave me my opportunity i would not be doing new york new york i would not be texting with my dude bill simmons if it wasn't for the platform and the friends and the opportunity. So, Anthony, number one, you're not going to get me to say a bad word about WFAN. You're not, because it was too good a place to me. Now, Morning Show wants to take some shots at my sister. She can go above and beyond. They want to do that. You know what? That's their thing. Let them do it. But I will say this. The idea of anyone, and I'm not going to name names, taking shots at me, and my career and the decisions that I've made. Let me spit some facts. What we're doing right now is cutting-edge shit. It's top-notch. I am getting the support, the love, the appreciation from one of the best media companies in the world. Not in New York. Not in the United States. In the world. And for anybody wondering, how is JJ doing in his new gig? I got more listeners. That's number one. More. Not less. More. Number two, I have this love, this appreciation, great staff, great boss, kick ass. I got that. Bank account. Not too shabby. Better than it was three months ago. Not going to lie. Oh, and I got a billboard. It's pretty nice. You might have seen it in midtown. So if you're wondering how JJ is doing, and if you listen to New York, New York, I think you know the answer. I think we're doing A-OK. Didn't expect that, but interesting way to wrap up the voicemail segment. All the love. We'll leave it at that. Coming up next, speaking about one of those lifelong friends that I met at my old employer, who no longer works at my old employer, Mike Carver, Mr. Islander himself from the ILC pod. He's backed by popular demand, ready to rock and roll for the Easter Conference finals. He's up next.
0: This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an
1: English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor, for each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. So, with the New York Islanders rocking the barn, going back to the Eastern Conference finals, you know, I checked my Twitter messages. I see one or two things today. My sister, who is like now this social media star. (laughs) And when is Mike Carver coming back on New York, New York? So I I can't speak for what's going on with Caroline. I can speak to the fact that Mike Carver is ready to rock the host of the ILC pod. What's happening, brother? What's
5: up, JJ? Good to be back with you, man. Carol making a statement all I mean, over listen, the place in the last hey, 48 hours. I coming mean, out hot, well, Coming out hot. She's hot Caroline.
1: around the islanders, for goodness sakes. That's saying something. <laughs> Who really? knew? She
5: really has. But no, big Islander run here now, JJ. Uh, listen, since the last time I've spoken to you, They have taken down the Penguins in six games. They've taken down the mighty, big, bad Boston Bruins in six games. The Islanders are hot, baby, and they are back for the second year in a row in the final four of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. It's amazing to to see.
1: You would appreciate this. I don't even think I told you this. Um, And my boss might not be particularly happy about this, but it's fine. We are allowed to air some grievances on New York, New York. I got a text from Bill in Los Angeles about a week and a half ago, right after game one, you know, he's bragging about Boston, city ah, of champions. I get yeah. it. He's won a ton of rings. Great. Good for you. And mentioned that the Bruins, even though he doesn't care about hockey that much, are going to win the Stanley
5: cup. Mike, that didn't age particularly well. That no, saying? that did not age particularly well. And listen, as we know, they've done a lot of winning up there, but this team, Jay, I'll just give you this on the Bruins for really quick. That group has been together for a very long time. I mean, Marshawn, Bergeron, you know, the Rask, the whole deal. The window, JJ, for them. I mean, it's if it's not shut, the Islanders slammed it down. I mean, as close as you could possibly get with this series. They need serious retooling because their bottom three lines got worked by the Islanders. Two of their three defensive pairs got worked, and Rask is finished. So the Islanders... Really put the Bruins in the cupboard here for a little while, JJ. Now, you're one of these guys we talk almost every day. You did not go into
1: the Bruins series looking at them as this overwhelming favorite. No. You thought the Islanders were alive. You thought they had a legitimate chance to win, even after losing game one, even after losing game three. Down 2-1 to one in this series, Mike. What, in your opinion, was the biggest difference for the Islanders? Was it the fact that they made the goaltender switch? Or was it the fact that they got their
5: offense going? What do you think jump-started the team more? Well, they made the goaltender switch after Game 1. So Sorokin played Game 1 and Varley You can throw started, that
1: in there. That's yeah, fair. After yeah, Game 1. And, yeah. and,
5: Varley did, and Varley went in in Game 2 and he played very well in Boston. And then he carried the mail the rest of the way. For me, J.J., the biggest difference, Game 3 to Game 4 is that the Islanders started to wear them down. That That's really what it came down to me. They were outplaying them for a couple of good stretches. Now listen, that top line on the Bruins, they are very tough to stop. You have to slow them down as best as you can. And Barry Trotz, as the series went on, he started to outcoach Cassidy, and he was getting the matchups that he wanted, and he put the Pajot line on on the Bergeron line, and the, you, it's, you can't completely shut them down, but he slowed them a little bit, and then he had the right matchups for his other lines that he was able to generate offense against the Bruin lines that couldn't stop them. So once the Brock Nelson and Bavillier and Josh Bailey line got going, things started happening, and Matty Barzell, JJ, who didn't do a lot, did nothing really in the Penguin series, and in the first two games of the Boston series, Suddenly in Game 3, towards the end of Game 3, you started to see Barzy come around. And then in Games 4 and 5, he really exploded. And for your best player to finally get it going, that really pushed the Islanders over the top. Now they
1: get ready for Tampa Bay. It is a rematch of a series we saw last year in the bubble. Eastern Conference Final did not go particularly well for the Islanders. So, Mike, you know this team better than anybody. Why is it going to be different this time around?
5: Well, there's a couple of factors that weren't in play a year ago that you can factor in now. I think the biggest one is clearly the Nassau Coliseum comes into play.
1: And I think I, I gotta it, it, make my way to the Nassau Coliseum well, for listen, one of these we games will, by the we'll way. We'll talk about we this. We I kinda know
5: I kinda know the schedule, so I'm gonna tell you to start getting ready now. It looks like either game four next Saturday night um at the coliseum i'm not gonna make game three that's gonna be thursday i'm not gonna make that one but it looks like game four saturday night or the game six which would be uh a week from wednesday so that one of those two JJ. i think that
1: might be is, the move because we don't is, have is television do. to worry about by the way and that yeah. way i can get out to long island and get rowdy with yeah. the folks out at the barn because you know i have never been in nassau coliseum mikey are All you these kidding years, me? I have never, never been. Never in bar. your life. Never in my life. Oh, this
5: is embarrassing. I'm but sorry. Well, I'm you owning
1: it. Listen, someone running high. I'm gonna own it. That's okay. That's
5: fine. And you are going to go for an unbelievable moment. And I and I've been talking about this the last couple weeks, JJ. You know, that place is a dump. Like, we know it's a dump. It but it has this special feel to it. And when they left there to go to the Barclays Center, I don't think a lot of people cared. They were like, whatever, we're gone. It doesn't matter anymore. In the last three years. The place has had a little bit of a rebirth. You know, it's still a dump, but the younger Islander fan, the 40 and under Islander fan who wasn't there for those moments in the early 80s, they've had a lot of moments here in that old barn, and and they've gotten to see how special it is. I mean, you think about it. The first game back there when they returned, the Tavares night. Uh, two years ago, beating the Penguins in the playoffs. This pe- this playoff run, they're in now. They've had two closeout games at home, both game sixes. And now, they're going to play the, uh, the, the conference finals, whatever they're calling here this year, the semifinals against Tampa. The younger Islander fan, JJ, has had moments at this old building, and they are gassed up when they go into it, bro. You got to see this. I mean... The scene out there. Well,
1: think, you went. So you went first uh, game back for the Boston series. It was yes. your first game back, I believe, right in that building since COVID. I
5: went to Game Four, so the Saturday night game. I went to the second game in the Boston series. The game. And four. would yeah. you
1: say it was the most electric you've ever seen the barn?
5: Uh still second. Nothing. uh Tavares night's not Tavares. Top. Yeah, that yeah, makes Tavares sense. Tavares night's not top. That. Now they could top Tavares night um in the next couple weeks I, I mean i not they have, now i wasn't there last night i was not there for game six against boston it's and i heard that it was on a Tavaris night level so for me personally it's still Tavaris night i'm hoping there's going to be an opportunity to change that but the people that i talked to who were in the building for game six against boston on wednesday night they say that was probably the best experience they've ever had and this place is live jj and and that's one of the differences here we're not in a bubble OK, and, and I know that the Tampa fan is probably going to try to sell you that like, well, you know, we have the crowd, too. No, nah, that's the Amalie, a- the Amalie right Amal- Amal- arena, easy. the Amalie arena. Now, they got good fans down there, JJ. I'm not telling you that they don't have fans or anything like that. They are not going to have the juice or the gas that the Islander fan is going to have at the old barn at the Nassau Coliseum. And that's going to make a difference for three games in this series that it didn't last year. Now, this could be whining. Last year, the Islanders got a little job in Game 1, like they just did. The bubble situation, they moved the Eastern Conference teams from Toronto to Edmonton. Islanders played a tough seven-game series with the Flyers. The Lightning were sitting around for a couple days, went to Edmonton two days earlier than the Islanders. So the Islanders got whacked like 8-1 in Game 1. They looked like they were asleep the entire game. And I, think that, and I just thought, and it's sour grapes, I thought they got job last year. This is an even playing field. They're both going to have a ton of rest. The Islanders have the barn this year, and the Islanders are better than they were uh, 10, nine, 10 months ago in Edmonton in that bubble in that series. Tampa's the same exact team. Islanders, better. Well, like, and the Islanders is are the
1: hungrier team, too. Let's be and honest. that's another factor. I know Tampa won a title last year. Give them all the credit in the world. Islanders lost to this team, got whooped by this team. You know, Trunce is using that as motivation.
5: He is a master motivator, J.J., and here's what else he is. A master at matchups. Now, Cooper's no slouch either. He's a Stanley Cup winning coach. coach. He is an excellent coach. But Barry Trotz has been licking his chops to get another chance at the Tampa Bay Lightning. Because as that series went on, J.J., in the bubble, the Islanders were in overtime in Game 6. Brock Nelson had a breakaway in overtime. He was this close to forcing a seventh game. With the Lightning in that Eastern Conference Final, the Islanders are hungry. This entire group knows that they lost to this team less than a year ago. Now, my initial argument with the Lightning, JJ, why I thought they wouldn't win the Cup, is that I thought this was going to be very tough. I think I said this to you a couple weeks ago. I was with you Winning the Cup twice in less than 12 months, that would be an, just a Herculean feat. If Tampa Bay can finish this. I think it'd be
1: the best back-to-back champion in the NHL in the history of the league.
5: Less than a calendar year winning four rounds of playoffs. Now, my initial argument was Tampa's going to run out of gas. It's hard for me to use that with the Islanders because the Islanders only played two weeks less than them. These teams both went to the East finals in the bubble. They both played to mid-September. If Tampa would have been playing a team that maybe didn't have that long run in the bubble, I could use it. I can't use that thing now with Tampa. The Islanders, they only played two weeks longer than the Islanders at the bubble. So I think that's kind of an even playing field here. Um, There are a lot of
1: johnny come coming out of the woodwork now. You wow. know that. That's the way it goes for any sport, yeah. any team. Does it bother you, though, because you're one look. of these guys that's out there day after day after day, and then, you know, you see certain Islander fans getting attention. Does that get under your skin a little bit?
5: Well, look, it doesn't get under your skin, and you said it perfectly. It doesn't matter what team it is. You could be the most popular team in town. That's true. You could be the least popular team in town. I mean, when the Yankees were winning World Series, JJ, there was plenty of people in that crowd who you could never find in the middle of July. You know, at a 7 o'clock Friday night game, you would never find them against the Oakland A's and people at Met games that you would never find in the down years. So it happens in every sport. Is it kind of strange, like when you're now either at the Islander game or you're watching it? The, But that's what happens. You go, You make a deep playoff run, people are going to jump on board. And you just kind of say... Listen, the peep the real fans JJ, they know who's been there from the Oh start. of course, of course. They know who's been there through the battles and been there through the bad days and been there through the Tuesday nights against Winnipeg in the snow in February. They know who those fans are. So yes, you're going to get some people to jump in. It is what it is. Bring them along for the ride because let me tell you JJ, nobody's going to give a rat's ass who's at the parade. If you're having one, if you're having a parade, you can bring everybody you want with you, baby. I want you on a float. That's how it works. We got to work
1: that out. (laughs) I mean, maybe Machio or Kevin Connolly or one of the bigwigs can
5: take care of you there. I want uh, you on a float. Kevin, obviously, uh, Action Park Media with the ILC Podcast, so... Uh, believe me, me uh, and Kev. I'll
1: send a text out. Well, listen, I point.
5: talk to Kev, I talk to Kev every day and try, I'm sure that if it happens, Kev's going to have some juice and we'll try to make it work. I like
1: the sound <laughs> of that. Okay, barn aside now, the Islanders are going to win this series. Tampa is a loaded team. They're a super talented team. Give me the biggest X factor. Crowd aside.
5: Um, they need to stay. Oh, I know this cliche. have to stay out of the penalty box. This team, JJ, is so Lethal. You watch the Tampa Bay Lightning on the power play, you'd think that you were watching the Russian Red Army from back in the late 70s, early 80s. I mean, they are that good. Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, Hedman. It goes on and on. The Islanders, and they're, listen, you know, Bergeron and Marchand and crew, they scored a bunch of power play goals against the Islanders in this series. Islanders have to stay. Out of the box. Of course, Cassidy cried about the refs uh, towards the back end of this series. With He's the one of your favorites,
1: by he, the way. He's he on the list. He embarrassed himself. I don't know what's himself. on the list more, Cassidy or Treasure Island. I don't he know. Emba- he there. embarrassed.
5: JJ, that was embarrassing. I think that their fans and their and their players should be embarrassed by what Cassidy did at the end of that series. But either way, the Islanders have to stay out of the penalty box. Bruce Cassidy will tell you that they're not going to be there anyway. But that's one aspect. They need to continue to get solid goaltending Varlamov played well against him in the bubble last year in that Eastern Conference Final. It's going to be him at the start, but hey, we've seen both Islander goaltenders win a series now. Sorokin won the Penguin series, Varlamov won the Bruins series. It could be anybody who shows up and be's the star in this one, and they need to continue to get productivity from all the guys they are. J.J., it is a mixed bag every night. One night, it's Barzell and Eberly. Another night, it's Nelson, Bailey, and Bavillier. Another night, it's Pajot and Kyle Palmieri. They need to continue to get the scoring all throughout the lineup and stay out of the box, and they can absolutely win this series. They're live, J.J. Plus all right, this is- 20 Mike. Next,
1: plus two twenty. I got to go down with the ship. I've taken them each of the last two rounds. Of course, I'm telling you right
5: go. now, this is no longer happy to be here type of stuff. If you look, and people don't respect the Islanders, the books don't respect the Islanders. Nobody respects the Islanders. This is three years in a row now. JJ, they have they're a perennial playoff team now since Lamarillo and Trotz have gotten there. Second round, conference final, conference final. This is, but now they need to take that next step. All right. People are going to respect you after beating the Bruins. The Lightning know how good you are from last year. You have an opportunity to win this series and get to a Stanley Cup final. And I'm telling you, JJ, I actually do believe they are going to beat the Lightning. Wow! In and this you didn't series. pick them last year. I did you not did pick not them pick last, year. last year. I picked the, the Lightning. I said, like, and I actually hit it. I said Lightning in six, and I think the Islanders are going to beat the Tampa Bay. So Lightning. what
1: you tell me is Game Six. Wednesday night, Mike Carver will be there. Jad Dostremski will be there. Let, let me tell you what. And thing. that is gonna be a party night. That is what you're telling
5: me. If the New York Islanders do what they've done in these first two series and they are going home up three two with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final at the barn against the Tampa Bay Lightning, where you you I'm gonna be at the game, JJ. I mean, I hope you're coming with me, but I'm I'll in. be at the game. I'm in, in. <laughs> the <you can> <laughs>
1: I trust, get, I trust you to get – I trust you to work your magic. We your will – oh,
5: I, I got I got plenty of resources for that, pal. I got, I got plenty I of resources for that. that. But there – I act- and I'm usually very – you know me. I'm not one of these guys. You can say it right here. I don't bang the Islander drum. No, I don't say they're going to win is. all the time. I That's am always straight up with what I think the Islanders are going to do. I actually – once they beat Boston and the way they did it, JJ, something clicked with me. This team's got something. Like, they have got that little bit of something that they're playing the best right now. Of the five teams that are left, the Islanders are playing the best. And they have all these little intangibles with them. Whether it's their captain going down midseason and he's starting to skate early in the morning right now. He's not going to play, but he's giving him a little juice there. The old barn closing for the last time. They've got all these little stories and Lamarillo, trots Like, it just feels, J.J., like, there's something going on here. And I think they're going to get this team, and they're going to get to the final. Mike Carver, ILC pod, as good as it gets. I mean, literally as good as it gets. You're not going to find a
1: better breakdown on the Eastern Conference Finals. That's an absolute fact. Mikey, I'm hoping and praying that that game six. Is alive and well. Uh, the, now, if the Islanders win in five, well, you know we'll figure something well, out. Yeah, well, well, we'll listen, we'll then, that.
5: then we get ready. We get ready for Isles in Vegas. Then, uh, well, I was gonna <laughs> say that we might have to take New
1: York. I'm telling you right now, if it's the Islanders in hey, Vegas, we got we might have
5: to take the show on the road. Just saying. Listen, we got all the and listen, if that happens, we got all the futures lined up, baby. Oh, we're cashing. now. Now you know this. I told you the five, the four to six teams. I said at the beginning of the year. These are the ones we got to put the futures on for the cup. This was early January. Three of them are still in. So I'm, and I still have three of the five teams. I have futures on to win the cup. So I have the Islanders. I have Vegas and I have Montreal. And the reason why do you have a Montreal? Well, what do we ticket? think
1: Montreal, by the way, is going to be in that series against either one? Montreal is uh, going to be a heavy underdog. They're going right? to get smoked. I mean, the only Doesn't, fear would be this series taking a whole lot out listen, of the winner, but I would
5: pick them either way. Forget that stuff. Okay. I'm telling you right now. Every, I know Montreal. It sounds like a great story. They beat a Toronto team that has no guts, no heart, no nothing. I thought they could win that series if they got a couple timely goals and great goaltending, and they did. Winnipeg stinks. All right, and they they did the same thing. I thought Winnipeg would beat Edmonton because Edmonton and Toronto were the same. Star power, two or three stars, no goaltending, no defense, and no heart. And those teams always lose in the playoffs. So even though Montreal and Winnipeg stunk, They were able to win those series, and then they play each other. The North Division was a joke all year. It's actually sad that Colorado and Vegas got to play each other while Montreal gets to go on here to the Final Four. Montreal is going to get embarrassed by whoever wins that series. That's how ugly it's going to be, JJ. Carey Price can't save him here. It's over.
1: Thanks for hopping on. I can't wait to do this again. Hopefully, maybe at the end of this series or the next
5: series. Always fun,
1: JJ. Mikey, talk (laughs) to you, buddy. Later. See ya. That's our dude, Mike Carver. I mean, you don't get better Islander back and forth. That guy has been bleeding Islanders since the minute I met him. And it would be apropos if my first game in the barn is with Carver High. Now, the scene for this weekend is awesome. Nets, Islanders, playoff, basketball, playoff, hockey. I want the Nets in a situation where they got to sweat back in Brooklyn for game five. I'm hoping and praying that's the case. Yankees, go take two games from the Philadelphia Phillies. Mets in a position here with the Padres. A little bit of a statement series. Tougher games on the horizon. And listen, anytime DeGrom is on the mound, it's must-see TV. It's as simple as that. Now, before I give you my plays for the weekend, there are a couple NBA games that I like that I've circled immediately. We might as well hear from the money man himself. The great Jeff Money's on the horn. What up, dude?
3: What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a Handicapper Pick. This is going to be for Friday the 11th. I'm going to pick both NBA games. My Money played the first game. I'm going to take the 76ers minus the one over the Hawks. I like the way they handled themselves in the second half of that game. I think it's going to continue from their last game. So give me the 76ers minus the one and game number one. Game number two. I like the Phoenix Suns, plus the one and a half over the Nuggets. I thought they were pretty much in full control of games one and two. I think it's going to continue. I don't see the Nuggets winning there at home. So again, in game number one, my money plan to take the 76ers minus the one. In game number two, I'm going to take the Phoenix Suns, plus the one and a half. All right, JJ, let's go. I'm out of here. Take care.
1: Little heads up and a little family action for our guy, Jeff Money. Because, listen, it's a Friday night. I don't have Yankees to watch. I will... Definitely be throwing a couple of shekels on these two NBA games. And of course, with this show being powered by our friends over at Fandle Sportsbook, of course, I'm giving you the lines up to minute, up to date, over FanDuel. I got the Sixers as well. I think the Sixers solved the riddle of the Atlanta Hawks. You saw it in the second half of game one. You saw it throughout in game two. I like where Philadelphia is at. And Bede, I don't see any issues. I don't see any problems with that meniscus. And I expect Philadelphia to get it done. So I will lay the point and a half. They'll go after Young. That's something the Knicks were not able to do in the first round series. I got the Sixers. I'm heads up with you, though, on the other game. I think Denver's going to have a moment. You got Jokic back on the court, first time since he's won the MVP. That's going to be a revved up scene in there. I think Phoenix is the better team. I think Phoenix will win the series. I think Denver, on the other hand, though, will have a moment. On Friday night. I think Denver gets it done. So I'm going to take Philadelphia in game one. I'm going to take Denver in game two. So I have a family play with the great Jeff Money. Then I have a little heads up action. Late night with Jeff Money. And I'm looking to see if we have a line. We do. We have ourselves a line for Sunday with Brooklyn and Milwaukee. The Nets opened at 1.00. It is now Brooklyn minus two with everybody on the planet, of course, betting the Nets. And I wouldn't talk you out of that. Right now, that would probably be my lean. I got to see how that line fluctuates, but my lean going into the weekend, Brooklyn would be the side. This was action-packed kind of show. Now I'm revved up for the weekend. We will have our podcast Sunday night. After what is going to be a kick-ass slate of games, Terry Kittles is going to join us right after game four. All the Nets, bucks reaction, all the Islanders reaction, weekend from baseball and all the good stuff you're going to have going on there. I hope we're back. And if you want to get in on the voicemail train, which is important, the voicemail train is how I operate. It's how we roll. It's how we function. If you want to do that, 917-382-1151, 917-382-1151. JJ signing off. Enjoy your weekend. Live it up. New York City, live it up America. Because we're worldwide, nationwide, citywide. We're everywhere, baby. I'm out. Be good, everybody.